catch the story from Lori Davis. Lori Davis and I've been going to Restoration Covenant probably since last December. I'm cynical and skeptical by nature. I'm always looking for the catch and reading the fine print. I don't really like meeting new people. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm what psychologists call slow to warm. Last January, God and Tony pushed me out of my comfort zone and encouraged me to sign up for the RCC Women's Retreat, which I did. I found that meeting new people didn't kill me and came out with the crazy idea that maybe I should join a life group. I brought it up with Tony and the kids, and we briefly discussed joining a group with people we didn't already know. We figured, a little bit selfishly, that it would be a good way to get to know some new people at a new church. I mentioned to Carrie Boyum that we might be interested in their group and then forgot about it. At 5 p.m. on Valentine's Day, I opened my email and saw that the Boyum's Life Group was starting at 6.30 p.m. and we were still welcome to join if we could make it. Ha! <laughs> Our house at 5 p.m. is crazy at best and this day was no different. Tony walked in with a heart-shaped pizza ready to accept accolades for remembering Valentine's Day. Brianna started crying because Valentine's Day and the heart-shaped pizza came just 24 hours after a painful breakup. Chelsea decided dinner time would be the best time to Skype, and Jack was probably wondering when his real family was going to come and rescue him from the crazy people he lives with. I scolded Tony for buying the pizza and being so insensitive, comforted Brianna while she cut the pizza into a broken heart, told Chelsea, not a good time, and then said, okay, we need to decide right now, are we going to join that life group? Because if we are, it starts in about an hour. We decided that if we were going to join, we were going to do it as a family. As parents, we're realistic, but also cunning, so we offered our kids a choice. Sit through the adult stuff, or just come and play with the little kids. We gave our kids permission to be kids and still be included. No surprise, they chose little kids. Even though some of us were under emotional duress and probably not thinking straight, we took a vote and unanimously decided to join the group. So our crazy, crying, mad-at-each-other family headed to the Boyums. Kudos to the Boyums, they didn't rescind their offer or send us home, and surprisingly, we didn't scare the other members away. Our group is intergenerational. We have members ranging from two years old to way older than two years old. Some of us have kids, some don't. Some of our kids are grown, some of us wish our kids were grown, and others have little kids. We have different personalities and different ways of connecting with God. Some of us are quiet and some of us are loud. Some of us like music and hugging and getting our pictures taken, and some of us definitely do not like that stuff. We have, a different we have different church and religious backgrounds. What unites us is that we all love Jesus and want to learn more about our Lord. So we talk, we laugh, we share, we eat, we have aha moments, and I would say we learn something from each other or about each other at every meeting. When Rob was looking for someone to share their life group experience, he gave me an example of something big. I told Rob I didn't really have anything big, but I did have a story about ordinary people. 
eight months ago we showed up at the last minute in, in a pretty ragged state not knowing what to expect. At best we expected to meet some new people. We figured we could quit if it was really bad. A few weeks ago I caught a glimpse of Jack's cell phone and noticed that his screensaver is Garrett Boyum. It made me stop and think. Who are these people in my group? Eight months ago I would have said people who go to my church. Today I would say friends. I am going to be honest that that was an unintended consequence and a huge unexpected blessing. If you are already in a life group, take time to thank God for putting you in each other's lives. If you aren't in a life group, I would encourage you to find the time, even if you join for the wrong reasons and show up to the first meeting crying. I guarantee you will find all sorts of un unexpected blessings. I know, that's awesome. I got a little tear there. And I think we need to have Lori as a writer for church. She was awesome. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is in the New Testament. Chapter 5 comes after 1 through 4. So before we get there... Um, Today, we've been in this series called Living Inside the Margins, and I really want to conclude it with, with kind of something practical, which is really, so what? So what's the point of living inside the margins? Is there, is there just that we have room to live life, and we have a little room to breathe, we don't just exist, we don't just produce, or is there something more than just that, which I would say, yes, there is. So... Uh, if you missed some of the series, I'll just give you the, the cliff notes and you can decide if you want to go back and look at anything. We talked the first uh, week about practicing Sabbath, about giving margin to rest and remember and honor God. Then we talked the second week about margin to remember what God has done in our lives, what he's done in the world and what's really truly important and needed. We um, then we looked at two really relevant topics, uh, financial margin and moral margin. And really the only way that we can have financial margin is to pursue contentment with Jesus. Being okay with Jesus and, and knowing that's enough. And then we can start to have room in our finances. And then we looked at moral margin last week and we said the only way we can really have some moral margin in our life, is if we put up some, some guards, uh, I call them snow fences before the cliff, um, with our eyes and what we think about and what we look at mentally, our mental space, and then with our bodies and, and where we go, location space, and then with our future. Um, and we ask the question, is it wise in light of our past experiences in our present situation and our future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do. And that's where we kind of left off. And, and some of you have been phenomenal. I'm just so proud of you. Some of you joined Brian and Deanne's Life uh, Financial Peace Group, and you're working on the financial margin. Uh, I had some really cool conversations this week about, uh, with some people about this idea of moral margin, what it means to really put up some, some fences in your life. Not because God's this, you know, tight-fitted, turtleneck-wearing, omnipotent being, but because it's, it's best for us to have these guards in our lives. And, and some people, 
sought professional help and internet filters and some really, really cool stuff. Um, and that's really good. It's good to get honest about where we're at. It's good to be, um, it's good to get margin in our lives. But again, I would ask, why? Why do we do that? Um, and if you think about it, this whole idea of, of margin is honestly, it's a little pragmatic and it's very Western culture. Like, in Mexico and some European countries, they have siesta. They get this. They just stop at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and they take a break. And it's great. And in England, they have high tea. And, and in the Middle Eastern countries, there's this um, unspoken hospitality that even if an enemy walks up to the door, you stop what you're doing. You completely serve them. You talk to them. You feed them. You house them. And, and it's expected like, other places get this, but no pun intended, it's literally foreign to us. And so if you think about this idea of margin, and, and, and then you think about this Western culture, and, and this culture that we live in in America, think about the last casual conversations that you've had in, I don't know, the last month. Um, do they ever include the word Busy. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Oh, man, I am just so busy, but it's great. Really good. Really busy. Oh, how are you? Oh, busy. Everything's so, it's busy, but it's good. It's... Now, what if when someone said, you know, how are you doing? If you said, you know, I'm doing well. I just don't have a lot going on. Um, I'm really trying to live inside the margins of my life and have you know, kind of a sane and, and godly existence. Right? Like, you would never say that. That's just weird. People would look at you and they'd be like, are you from another planet? And what if you went, well, actually, no, but I'm from another kingdom. Not to go all corny on you, but what if you said, no, I'm really living in Jesus' kingdom. I practice margin in my life because it's how I live out the kingdom of God. It's how I pursue God. And, and he tells us that we're supposed to be ambassadors and representatives of this, of this kingdom of Jesus. And that we can talk to people not from this ideological place, but just from a place where we know we've been, that we live and we try to live every day, that it's a great place to live in Jesus' kingdom. It's kind of like going on a mission trip. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know, you... You go somewhere, you set aside mental space, you usually have to set aside finances, you have to set aside some um, room in your spirit to go somewhere to give to someone else. And all that while, you're kind of giving your heart, your soul, your energy to this endeavor that's beyond you, that it deals with other people and deals with God. And it feels so amazing to be partnering with God. And it's kind of 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all of our focus is towards it. And then you come home and you're like, oh, that was great. Now I have to get back to real life. And when you think about that, which one is the real life? Is the mission trip really our real life? I mean, when we thought about that, as we thought about what it means to plant a church, this idea was what we captured. What if we could be on a mission trip every day? Like, what if that's what restoration was? That we had this mentality that every day we go on a mission trip. 
And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Rob, that's easy for you because this is your job. You kind of have to do that. Um, All right, yes, I'll give you that. I mean, I have other parts of my life too. But what if one of God's angels showed up? Because I don't think we could handle it if God showed up. I think we'd all be on the floor, or at least I'd be on the floor. If God, in his unapproachable light, and his wisdom, and his omnipotency showed up, I think I'd be on the floor. But maybe just an angel showed up. And he happened to have God's magic wand. I know we're going a little out there for a moment, but use your imagination. So God's angel showed up. He has a magic wand. Um, You can tell I have little girls. And he says, you know what? I'm going to grant you a wish. You now have 25 hours in the day. Poof. How many of us would take that one hour for God's margin and we would live out God's kingdom? Hmm? Hmm? I... I don't think we would. I, I just know human nature. And most of us would squeeze a little more of our life into that 25 hours instead of 24 hours. We would probably do some chores. We'd get ahead at work. We'd get caught up on emails or Facebook or whatever we felt was urgent, but maybe not so important. See, I don't, I don't think the problem is one more hour in the day. I think it's how we spend our days. What do we do with the time God has given us? And that's really the so what of this whole idea of living with margin, to move from living this overextended, outside the margins life to a life with margin to, I'll just call it mission, with Jesus every day. We have to live wiser. And Ephesians 5 tells us how to live wisely. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, God gives us this little blueprint to live wisely. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go there. I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, just let me pause and, and let's ask God to, we know he's here, but let's, let's just go to him in prayer. God, you are the Almighty One and you are the one that lives in unapproachable light. And yet you also tell us that we can come boldly and confidently into your presence because of Jesus, and that's what we do today. We acknowledge you're here. We acknowledge that you're God. And that it's not really about time management, um, God, but it is about your kingdom. So as we read your word, teach us what it means to live wisely um, today. Amen. Well, in Ephesians five fifteen. It says, uh, from the New Living Version, it says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music in your heart to the Lord and give thanks to God in everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now Ephesians, remember we talked about Ephesians, or we talked about the city of Ephesus a little bit two weeks ago. Ephesus was like modern-day New York City in the first century. It's a central hub. It's an economic powerhouse. There's a lot of wealthy people. There's also a lot of slaves. There's this huge economic disparity. There's also a lot of ethnic differences. And so 
in this letter, there's a bunch of people, or in this town, there's a bunch of people who come to know Jesus. And yet there's still lots of people who don't. So they're all over the place. And so Paul writes to the people that know Jesus. There's some Jews that know Jesus. There's some people that aren't Jews that know Jesus. And then there's these people that really don't know Jesus. So all along the way, he's kind of going back and forth, comparing followers of Jesus to people who don't have Jesus, back and forth. And in chapters 1 through 3, he talks about who, who God is and what he did, that he took people who are far from God and he brought them near to God. And then he took people that weren't too far from God and brought them near to God. And he's really said, it's not about how far you were away from God because now we're united in Christ. And so he brings up this unity. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he goes back and starts contrasting this teeter-totter, this back and forth. And that's what's going on in chapter 5. He's following the same pattern back and forth. And he's talking now about wisdom and foolishness. And so he says, hey, don't live like the people who are fools. Don't live like them. They don't live very carefully. They don't watch their step. They don't think about how they live. They don't redeem the time. They don't, um, maybe they just measure the time. Maybe they just kind of put their hours in. Uh, They don't seize the moment. They don't find where there's a God opportunity, where there's something special or God ordained that might happen. They, They really kind of allow things like alcohol or other substances or even other people to control their life, to influence their life, to be overcome um, with these other things. And these kind of people, they don't stop very often. They don't have a lot of margin. Those are the fools. They're like someone who goes out to sail on a windy day. If you've ever been sailing, you know, you need, you need a good wind to get a good sail. But sometimes the waves are really big. In our culture, the waves of, of over, overextending ourselves are quite large. And fools, they go out and they think, oh, there's wind, I want to sail. And they push their boat out, they get in the boat, they raise the sail up, the wind hits it, and they forget the rudder. And now they're just being tossed and blown away. These are the fools, they're kind of tossed and blown away. They don't have the rudder, they don't have the direction of where to go. Because sailing is fun to go out in a boat, but it's usually fun to get somewhere, too. Not that it's totally about the result, but it helps to have the rudder, to steer the boat. And see, the wise people, they steer. They have the rudder. In verse 15, it says, um, be careful how you live. What it, what it means is these wise people, they watch and look before they step. They think about what's there. And then they take their step. They think about their behavior. They think one step farther down the path. Did you remember when this happened to you? Maybe it still hasn't happened to you yet, but someday it will. For me, it happened, I think, at about 23. But um, at some point when someone's a teenager or in adolescence, they start to realize that when I take a step, there's this chain reaction that now I'm going down this path. And then if I take a step over here, there's this kind of path. And it's really fun to get to this point where you're wise enough to know if I go down this path, it's going to take me this way. And if I go down this path, it might take me this way. And the wise people are careful. They guard their future. They ask that question that we brought up last week. In light of my past experiences, in light of my present situation, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? And see, people who love Jesus, we need to ask that question. We need to not just, you know, 
I mean, not that it's bad to look up in the Bible and, and find some verse that says, hey, look, see, we shouldn't drink because it says don't get drunk with wine. It's not about the rule. It's about the wisdom. And these people get that. Verse 17 says they don't act thoughtlessly, which is a nice way of saying, another way of saying they're not foolish. They understand what the Lord's will is. So a lot of times people say to me, how do I understand what God's will is? How do I understand the Lord? And I have people who say that that are like junior high students, senior high students, college students. I even have adults say, I, I really wish God knew, like I knew what God wanted me to do. Well, actually Romans 12 tells us, if you want to know what God wants you to do, you can find it. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it. It says, brothers and sisters, I urge you to give your bodies to God because of what he's done for you, and this will be your sacrifice. And it's, it's a, a worship that he finds acceptable, and this is the way you can truly worship him. And then it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't go out in the sailboat without the rudder. Don't just think that if I don't think about where I go and how I walk, that, that I'll be able to live wisely. Because our culture isn't bad, it just has a way of coming over the top of us, of swallowing us, of all of a sudden we're super overextended and we're just existing and we're not living. So it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then we'll understand the Lord's will. Then we'll know what God's will is for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if you want to understand God's will, we have to do what this verse is saying. There was a lady um, many years ago who didn't want to copy the behaviors and customs of the world. She was allowing God to change the way she thinks. I have a feeling that she was influenced by Galatians 3.28, which says that no matter what your race, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your gender, no matter what your class or socioeconomic status, that we're one in Jesus. She was, I believe she was having that run through her mind, and she lived out verse 16. Let's go back to that one. Verse 16 says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This, this idea of making the most of an opportunity, it's this word keros, or keros, and it's this idea of the right opportunity or, or this God-ordained moment where something unique and something special happens. It's not just a measure of time like on a stopwatch, but it's a moment in time where you're like, that was significant. And for this lady that I just mentioned, it was December 1st, 1955. And it could have been just another day, but on that day, this seamstress, this civil rights activist named Rosa Parks, she sensed a moment of God's keros. She had her eyes open. She was living inside the margins enough. She could be on mission enough to see it and seize it. And she did. She got on this bus after a long day at the Montgomery Fair department store, and when the bus driver said she needed to move, she refused to give up her seat to a white passenger. And in her autobiography, Rosa Parks says her motivation that day wasn't that she was tired and wasn't that she was old. In fact, she says, I was only 42 years old. The only kind of tired I was was tired of giving in. And this one solitary act of God's keros, of this moment in time, 
sparked a huge good movement of civil rights and propelled a then 26-year-old man named Martin Luther King Jr. to enter that goal, that ideal, that movement. That's an example of our so what. We can't have these carose moments if we don't have our eyes open. If we're just too busy, if we're just moving too fast, too soon, if we're not wise in how we live, if we don't have enough margin to see them, then we can't seize them. And I believe that God has them all over the place. Because God doesn't need us, but I think he wants to use us if we follow Jesus. He wants to give us those carose moments. And finally, we see in Ephesians 5, um, this idea of the Holy Spirit guiding their lives in community. Verse 18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, community. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to God for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another, community, out of reverence for Jesus. So I had some person I asked this to one time. Actually, someone asked me this, and then I used it again later because it was someone smarter than me. So they said, so it says, don't get drunk with mine. Does that mean beer's okay? And I'm like, no. Well, then he said, so does that mean crack cocaine's okay? And actually, I, I said that that's someone, they're like, well, yeah, right? Because it doesn't say it in the Bible. No, actually, the intention here is something, some other substance that influences us, that controls our mind. It's not what it is. So you can have a glass of wine and it's okay. That's why we don't make that a big deal. Now, some of you choose not to have glasses of wine or, or drink alcohol because of, because of the poison, um, the danger, the risk, and that's okay. There's room for you. And someone who has a glass of wine and says, I'm still in control of myself, there's room for you because it's about Jesus. But this verse does say, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit means be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Let, let the Holy Spirit influence us. Give us um, this chance to encourage others, to have joy, to make music or melody in our hearts. You know, melody, I don't know a lot about music, but melody is a little different than harmony because they're singing right in step with each other the same way. And that's the kind of thing that we're supposed to be with Jesus. Every day, having this melody with Jesus. Over and over. And, and you've seen people like this, haven't you? I have. They're, they're contagious and frustrating. They're always giving thanks. They're always happy. And when it's not fake, like when it's really real... Don't you just want to spend more and more and more time with them? I mean, literally, they're vibrant. They live this out. They even have healthy relationships. Lori, I mean, I loved, I loved the video. A lot like family, except less dysfunctional. <laughs> I mean, right? Because they're trying to do this. Because our families, they know all of us, you know? Like, my parents are here today, and, and they know when I was a snotty little kid, and <laughs> they're laughing. 
they know the times that they said things like, I hope you have a kid just like you. <laughs> and I got it. And now I'm praying the same thing. <laughs> when our whole family, when they know us, we admit like, oh, we have a little dysfunction. But when we put ourselves under the direction of the Holy Spirit, when we say, I'm going to step into a group of other people that don't know everything about me, but that I'll vulnerably and authentically and appropriately share as these people become friends, something amazing happens. It's amazing. It's, it's these verses that I think are lived out that aren't supposed to be this kind of fluffy, like, artistic dance. Did you ever think I would pirouette up here? Um, I didn't. Uh, See, so stay, pay attention. They, they make music in their hearts to the Lord. They sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They, they, the Bible kind of flows in and out of their conversation. They, they give thanks to God in everything. They submit to one another. They put themselves under the direction or under the guidance of someone else out of respect for Jesus. And now you think about, like, zoom back out to our so what. When our lives get busy, when our lives get no margin, when they get super going and extended, what are the things that get removed? Isn't it our time with God and our time with other people who love God? I mean, aren't those just the natural things that kind of get shoved to the side? I think so. And so, what needs to change for you? Some of you do this really well, and I want you to be encouraged to keep it up. I want you to vulnerably and appropriately share with others how you do this so that we can learn from you, because you have it down, and that's good. Others of us, we have a ways to go. Others of us, we don't even pause long enough to have margin in our life to think about the fact that we don't have margin in our life to change it. So we're going to go into a time of communion in a couple of minutes, and, and I want us um, to, to pause and think about what needs to change. So you had a card like this that says life groups. Now, there's very few things that have helped my relationship with God more than being in authentic, Christ-centered relationships with other people where I get a chance to be honest, they get a chance to be honest. They find out that Saturday night Rob isn't all that different from Sunday, night, Sunday morning Rob, but a little more colorful sometimes, a little less filter, and it's good. But then we get the chance to grow together, and I get the chance, and you get the chance to learn from other people about how they interpret Scripture, about how they learn from God, walk with Jesus, and it's a good thing. And I would just encourage you, if you're on the fence, this does not obligate you. We won't force you to be in a group, but to put it down and write it right now. Um, we have this opportunity um, to join Westview in their literacy program. I think that's a Keros moment. Wait, helping kids read? Because that's not sharing Jesus with them. Well, I know this. I know that if we don't help kids read, 
we'll never get the chance to share Jesus with them. But maybe if we do get the chance to read, that maybe that good deed will produce goodwill. And maybe that goodwill will bear the bridge of relationship to share the good news. And that could be this Kairos moment. And you could just join a life group and then you could say, hey, our life group, we're going to do our serving project as readers. And then you kill two birds with one stone and then you have more margin in your life and it's great. But the point isn't margin. Margin's not God. It's good, but it's not God. So that's not the so what. Margin isn't the point. Living wisely is the point. Not having more time, but prioritizing kingdom opportunities. Being able to one day say, yeah, I'm really not from around here. I'm really more a part of Jesus' kingdom. It's seeing and sensing the God moments. That's the point. Living under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. Living in these mutual relationships where we can learn from each other, where we're open enough to get wisdom from somebody else. That's the point. So as you look at your life, what needs to change? Because maybe living wisely means living more like Jesus. That's why over the next two months we're going to go through what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What are some of the marks? What are some of the attributes of Jesus? And how do we not just look at those and think, oh yeah, but we look at those and say, how do I put a little bit more of that in my life? Now that, I have this, now that I've made this room for margin, what goes in that place? Where I would, send, I would say it would be these pieces of Jesus go in that place. So before we participate in communion, I just have to ask, like, how are you walking with Jesus? Are you running so far ahead that you can't even see him? Are you dragging so far behind that you don't know where he is? As we talked about margin this five weeks, would you say, oh, you know, I call myself a Christian, but I don't really live with Jesus. I don't really put him first. I don't really follow him. And if that's the case, then you can just say, today, I give it to him. Today, I don't do it my way. I do it his way. God, I want you to have mercy on me because I've, I've just been selfish. I've lived for myself. Today, I want your forgiveness. I want you to transform me. And he will when you pray that prayer. The key isn't just moving from overextended to having margin. The key is going from margin to mission. And the best way to do that is to live wisely. So let's pray before we go into a time of communion. God, we want you to watch our step, not just so that we don't show up on the front page of the paper and as someone who's foolish, not so we just have a little bit better family experience, not just so we feel a little less guilty, but we want to live wisely to live into your kingdom. I thank you, God, that you take us no matter where we're at and you, you call us to follow you. You take people who betrayed you, who denied you, and you said, come, be my disciples. And so there's room for me, there's room for us in that process. And God, I just pray as we enter this time of, of communion to come to your table, 
that we'd pause enough to evaluate where we're at. We just take a moment to reflect on good things, things that we should have thanksgiving for. God, we pause to ask for forgiveness for the things that our mess-ups, our mistakes, our hurts, our hang-ups. God, we thank you that no matter where we're at, you have your arms open to us. That even at your last meal, you let someone who denied you and someone who betrayed you dine with you. So we take just a moment to examine as we come to your table what that looks like. So as we do come to the table, we remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said that the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks for it. And he broke it. He said, this is my body. It will be broken. And when you eat it, Remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he raised it up and he looked at his disciples. He said, This cup, this cup is the new covenant, it's sealed in my blood and every time you drink of it remember me Paul reminds us that every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup we do so in the name of Jesus we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus until he comes again This is Jesus who invites us to the table. It's not Rob. It's not Restoration Covenant Church. It's Jesus. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, or you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you say that, and you come. We'll have some people um, in the back to pray with you if you want to pray. We have these two stations right here. Um, that are that you can kneel at and you can take more time at. Uh, we have this station up front if you want to just stand and you've done some reflection already and you just want to be served. But this is a, a, fr- a more free-flowing time of communion than if you've been here before than, than maybe we've had in the past because we want to leave margin 
to worship God. We want to leave some room for you to pray. We want to leave room for you to sit, to kneel figuratively and literally with Jesus. So as you sit at the bench, um, don't think it has to be four of you across and then you have to leave when everybody else leaves. You can, you can sit and you can pause and you can pray there. And then when you're ready to be served, you just put your hands out. And the servers on this side will serve you the bread and you'll dip it in the wine, the grape juice. Um, so when you're ready, come. Jesus says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, don't, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's live wisely. Let's think about where our lives are at at this point and where we want them to go. So when you're ready, go. And then you can go back to your seats and we'll continue in worship.